called Kingdoms in Conflict. Kingdoms in Conflict. So Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. We ready, Mark? Okay, great. Thank you. The same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got out into a boat and he sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they didn't have much depth of soil. But when the sun arose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he shares with the, with the disciples how, uh, how that um, we need to have a desire to hear if we're going to understand these parables. And so I'm going to skip through that section. We'll get to that probably at another time. But he then, when his disciples get him alone by himself, they ask him, they say, well, explain that parable of the sower to us. And so jumping down to verse 18, Jesus says, Here then... The parable of the sower. First of all, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. This is what was sown by the wayside. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while then when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one that was sown on good soil, this is the one, this is who you are, praise the Lord. This is the one who hears the word, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Um, in Mark's account of this parable, Mark says, when the disciples said, explain to us the parable of the sower, Jesus said, he said, well, let me tell you, first of all, he said, the parable of the sower is the key to all other parables. If you don't understand the parable of the sower, how can you understand anything that I teach so the elements that are taught in this parable are absolutely key if you're going to understand King Jesus and his kingdom, how to be a part of it, how to grow and follow him in this life. Now, the first primary message that we shared was what I believe is the, the central first message of the parable of the sower, and that's very simply this. Your life must be good soil in order for the seed of the kingdom, God's word, to grow in it. Your life has to be good soil. And in that message I shared about good soil, not necessarily referring to the, the moral goodness in your life primarily, but the condition of your heart and the readiness of your life to hear and receive the word of God. So 
You need to be good soil if God's kingdom is going to operate in your life. The second message that I'm bringing this morning is called Kingdoms in Conflict. And it also deals with what Jesus is talking about in the parable of the sower. The first three examples of the soils were three negative conditions in which the seed of God's word was sown in people's lives, but because of conditions in their lives, different, different conditions in their life, there was no profit. Um, there was no fruit that was brought forth. The fourth condition, they heard the word, they received it in good ground, they produced fruit. And that's us, and that's who we want to be. So in this second message, there's, there is an idea that we need to extract from, from this parable and understand that Jesus is warning us when you live in this world and you receive the word of God so that you are a child of the king and the kingdom of God is being sown in you through God's word, the kingdom of God sown in you and the kingdom of the world around you are kingdoms that are in constant conflict with each other. And if you don't understand that, and if you don't understand how the Lord is calling us to deal with that conflict and where to stand in order to be victorious in that conflict, you're not going to end up being good ground. And the seed that the Lord has sown in your life, no matter how open to hearing God's word you are, will not produce fruit. We, we want to produce fruit. So let me put it in very simple terms. The theme of this message this morning is simply this. You cannot keep sowing to your flesh and expect to be good soil and produce fruit in the kingdom of God. It is impossible. Many years ago when Kathy and I first came to the Lord, uh, both of us, and especially um, me, I never came from a church background. I'd never read a Bible. I'd never opened a Bible. I had no idea who God was. And so when I got saved, it was a whole new world for me. But initially, when we first came to the Lord, we, we had it stressed within us, this idea of kingdoms in conflict. I understood that I had left the world and I had entered the kingdom of God. In my mind, I realized that Jesus was king of my life. And even though I was physically living in this world, I was a member of his kingdom, and the order of his kingdom was to rule my life. Yes. So we were always warned, don't keep sowing to your flesh. Don't be a carnal person. Don't let your flesh rule your life. That's what this message is all about. But that, that idea that you cannot keep sowing to your flesh and expect the results of the kingdom of God. That message is clear, and it's a constant theme throughout the gospel and throughout the New Testament. So this morning, I'm going to share with you three examples from the New Testament, the gospels and some of the writings of Paul. Three examples of this theme and how prominent it is. And they're examples that most of you that have have, uh, are familiar with the Bible, you'll be familiar with these. The first example is the teaching that Jesus gave. It was fundamental to his, his uh, public teaching, and that is you cannot serve two masters. Choose one. You cannot serve two masters. Choose one. So if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, if you're going to be good ground, 
You have to choose Jesus as your master. And you can't divide your life between Master Jesus and the master of the desires of the flesh or the world and those things. So I'm going to say some things to you this morning that are, that are going to be a challenge to you. It might even sound provocative. But if you stick with it throughout the message, I think you'll get the sense of what the Lord is saying. But number one, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters. That came from the mouth of Jesus. And he continued to say, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold it to the one and despise the other. You could see the conflict. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are the slaves of him whom you obey? Whether that be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So let me say to you that the master of your heart will cause resentment towards the things that compete for your attention. Whoever is the master of your heart, whoever your heart truly clings to, that's the master of your heart. That's who you're really going to serve. So deep in your heart of hearts, your master is going to have this effect on you that what other things in life vie for your attention, your emotional energy, your time, try to draw you away, you are eventually going to resent those other things. Whether that master is the Lord or that master is the world and the things of the world, We've all either experienced or we've seen Christians who begin to let the world and the things of the world become the master of their heart. And they would never say it, but they start resenting the claims of the gospel. They start getting aggravated with, well, I don't have to go to church. Why? I don't have to read the Bible all the time. What does God just expect me to say? That attitude begins to rise up and you start resenting the claims of Master Jesus when you allow the world to become your master. And the reverse is also true. So Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you could be a Christian, you could be in church on a regular basis, but if your treasure is something other than Jesus, if your heart begins to set its affections on other things, now I love other things, I'm going to be honest about it, just in case some of you are having a hard time being honest with yourself about it. There's other things other than Jesus that I really like. I love them. I enjoy them. And so they are all potentially alternative masters that can turn my heart away from Jesus and make my heart to become cold. If I allow them to become my treasure... I will notice my heart starting to resent Jesus and then starting to cling to them and not to Jesus. But you know how you overcome the things of the flesh? If you're stuck in a terrible habit, if the things of the world have got a hold on you so that uh, you've made them your treasure and now they are your master, you can easily break that by beginning to renew your love for Jesus. 
Set your affections on the Lord and on things above. And as you love Him, your, the love for the Lord will cause you to begin to resent those things. And the power, well, we'll move on. You'll see how the power God will provide you to break away from them. But again, we're answering the question about the parable of the sower. How can I become good ground? If I want the kingdom of God to grow in my life, I've got to avoid living by the wayside, planting God's word in, in areas that are just filled with shallowness in my life or the things of this world choking the seed. So I want to be good ground, <coughs> which leads to the second example. And that second example is Jesus said, take up your cross and daily follow Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't follow him without taking up your cross daily. Now, I know that we don't hear a lot of teaching or preaching about the cross or taking up our cross today because our society has drifted into a time or into a focus of um, embellishing and improving the self of individuals. And so church has... Church tends to drift with the drift of society. And with the drift of society having focused on how can I make my life better? How can I make my experience better? We even get married to make me better rather than years ago people used to get married to make a family. And I would find happiness and fulfillment in a family. People are breaking up um, by the buckets full because their marriage begins to become about, well, how do I fulfill myself rather than how do I find the blessing of being a family? And so they're missing that blessing, just as an example. So with that happening in the world, the church has started to drift in that direction and, and is to a large extent there so that you don't hear a lot of talk about the cross because it's in conflict with a lot of the ministry that's presented today about Come to our church and you're going to get yourself all built up and become the best you that you could possibly be. And, and you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that personally. But the only way you could be that way is to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. So the second example is that Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you must take your cross daily if you're going to follow me. And so uh, Luke chapter 14 and verse 30, uh, 26, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude towards God, and likewise his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Let me just pause for a minute and say, when I first got saved, I mean, I got bone saved, hardcore saved, hardcore Christian my, my, one of my kids, when they were little, they used the term bona fide. They said, you're, we're, you're a bona fide Christian. I said, well, yeah, it's probably true. Bona fide. But even though I was a bona fide Christian, I came across that verse and it rattled me. I thought, That's, that doesn't sound right because the Bible says we should love people and love one another and talks about husbands and wives loving each other. And here's Jesus putting his hands up, saying to, to his disciples, if you don't hate your mother and father, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. I thought, did someone slip that into the gospel? Is that supposed to be there? You better believe it. Not everything Jesus said. Uh, you're not going to hear the world. The world loves to quote Jesus 
You know, they love to get on. You can see them on TV and when they're out in the streets and they're having these big protests and they like to quote Jesus about, well, Jesus said that you're supposed to love one another. But they're not going to quote everything Jesus said. They won't be quoting this verse. But the fact is, Jesus said it. And we'll get to looking at what he meant by that when he said it. But let's move on. He says, even your own life, if you don't hate yourself, you cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not persevere, now he's explaining, how do I hate myself and love God? Whoever does not persevere, obviously it takes effort, perseverance, and carry his own, everyone say own, and carry his own cross and come after me or follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus said in verse 25, He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Now, previously, in the previous verse, Jesus said, If you want to follow me, you have to do what? Take up your cross. You can't follow me without taking up your cross. So, if, if anyone... Uh, Jesus said, wants to serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant be. If any man serves me, him will my father honor. I noticed when I read this verse this morning, going over my notes, Jesus said that if, if anyone wants to serve me, let him follow me, because where I am, my servant will be. There are a lot of Christians who, if they're honest, would say, you know, I have a hard time. I don't feel like I'm where Jesus is. Even though they know He lives in, in their heart. If you want to be where He is, doing what He's doing, it takes taking up your cross to get there. Christians who do not take up their cross daily and follow Jesus are stuck in the conflict that I'm going to be sharing with you about this morning. And they're having a hard time connecting with Jesus where he is. That's why they have a hard time receiving the blessings and receiving the, the encouragement and the support and uh, the blessing that God wants to bring into their life. Now let's talk about this hate business. It's very unpopular to hate anything today. We shouldn't be hating anything. And we shouldn't be hating anybody. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does talk about hate just as much as it talks about love. And uh, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother, father, wife, children, even his own self, he cannot be my disciple. But he used this particular phrase, and I, that's why I read it out of the Amplified Bible. And the Amplified opens it up and says this, in the hate, mother, father, yourself, in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude towards God. In other words, if you love somebody, you have deference towards them. They are the most important thing in your life. As a matter of fact, um, I've been married a lot of years, and one of the things I eventually begin to find out is that you're going to have a problem if you say all the time, Oh, I love you. I just love you so much. But you don't show deference towards your wife or towards your husband. And you have relative disregard towards them. So if you don't regard and practice pursuing the person that you've picked as a life's partner, uh, 
and you give deference to other things before your husband and wife, eventually they're going to resent hearing you say, oh, I love you. They're going to say, I don't believe you. I'm sorry. I just, you can say it, but I don't believe it. And so if you're not showing love by making that person first in your life, see, God has the idea that what you really love, you've made first in your life. And that what you really love, you're actually going to follow. And so when you've committed your love in a love bond and covenant called marriage to somebody, but then in the passage of time, you start drifting away and pursuing other things more, and you let, you're letting your marriage crumble and fall apart, you get accused of being what? Falling out of love. And you say, well, I certainly haven't fallen out of love. I do fall. But when you are saying unkind things and you're giving patience and kindness and interest in pursuing other things and you're ignoring that relationship, then guess what? The accusation stands as a correct accusation. You have fallen out of love. Because love isn't something you feel or something you say. It's what really is in your heart. And so when Jesus said... If you're going to love me, then understand. I'm going to share another verse in a few minutes. really brings this out. But understand that God knows what love really is and what it really looks like. So if you are not willing to hate or by comparison hold indifferent and as less important and less deference yourself and every other relationship compared to your relationship with God, then you are not worthy to be my disciple. You can't follow me. That's what the Lord was saying. I'll give you a really quick illustration. Many, many years ago before my wife and I were married, we, we lived out a little scene, a little episode that could have been in any dramatic movie. And we were living here in Clearwater, and it was a rainy day like today, but it was pouring. It was just a frog strangler. The rain was coming down. And I was uh, living in Largo. Kathy was working at some location. And I had, I had told her I'd gotten saved. We had just been saved a short amount of time. And I told her, you know what? The Lord's calling me. I'm going to follow him. I'm, I'm leaving and I'm moving down to some, some place down in St. Pete. And I'm going to be following Jesus and serving the Lord with these guys down there and everything. Well, we had been together night and day, every day since the moment we met. We were inseparable. And so she was excited that I'd received Jesus. But then all of a sudden, my receiving Jesus became a problem in our relationship. And it was, it was going to come, it was going to bring a separation in our relationship. And I remember Kathy called me up. And she, it was raining, and she was on her lunch break, and she had gone to this location, was trapped in the rain, and uh, was crying on the telephone. She's saying, we can't go on if you're going to, you know, be so radical and just uh, uh, leave me like this. You're, gonna, you're just going to up and leave me? And I, would, and I had told her, I said, I'm sorry, Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first. Yes, I'm going to. Well, why can't you serve the Lord and just get a job here and be here and we could be together like we'd planned on and we're getting married and everything. And I said, well, because the Lord told me and I've got to put him first. He comes first. So the reality that I was hating her by comparison to loving Jesus. And she said, well, then I don't want to, after this, I don't want to see you. This is goodbye. I said, no, I just knew I could talk her into it. And I threw the phone down. 
And I ran out of the apartment, and she was only, she was about, about a, I'd say a mile and a half, maybe two miles away, and it was a drenching rain, and I ran through the rain because I didn't want her to leave and go back to work before I saw her, and she was behind this shopping center and under the overhang and drenched, and I saw her back in this alley, and she was just in a heap on the ground just sitting there wet and sobbing and crying and I ran up and I threw my arms around her and I said Kathy this doesn't have to be the end of us you, you just just be patient the Lord's gonna and she said no she I, I can't take this you're leaving me and uh, I can't believe it you're leaving me for Jesus and at that moment everything within me wanted to say you know why does this have to be so difficult I, you know I could serve Jesus there's plenty of churches here I go to church here but God had spoken to me and I had to do what the Lord said and I would not yield that point. And I got up and walked. I had run and I walked back through the pouring rain and left her there sobbing, crying in the rain and walked back. And that was it. We just figured this was going to be the end of us. It was like a movie. It was very dramatic. But I would not back up. And that was the way it was going to be. Well, you can see, obviously, the Lord worked it out. If you don't take up your cross... You're not going to have kingdom results in your life. And this is why so many Christians lack power in their life today. They're not willing to obey the Lord. They're not willing to put self aside to put the things of the kingdom first. Understanding that if they would take that step of obedience and obey the Lord, the Lord would be there with power and grace to work out those things in their life. God has a plan to bless you. God has a plan to to uh, fulfill your life, but you've got to put him first. You can't try to love both worlds and serve both masters. You've got to put him first. And by the way, Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, he said, take up your cross, you cannot follow me. I noticed also in reading that, it doesn't say if you don't take up your cross, you may not follow me. May refers to permission. But can refers to ability. Jesus didn't say, if you don't take up your cross, you may not follow me. I will not permit you to follow me. He wasn't saying, I'm going to make a personal decision. If you don't prove to me like it's some kind of a religious test of some kind. If, if you don't sacrifice and take up your cross and follow me so that you prove that you really love me, then I'm not going to let you be my disciple. That, God doesn't play games. None of this is about playing some kind of testing game. So he didn't say, if you don't take up your cross, you may not follow me. He said, if you don't take up your cross, you won't be able to follow me. I looked up the word cannot follow me and guess what the word can is? It's the same word translated power throughout the New Testament. It's that Greek word dunamis which means power and ability. But he puts the word not, power not. You will not have power to follow me if you don't take up your cross. And This is why many Christians are trying to pray and see God's blessing move in their life. But something, why isn't it working? How come God's power isn't moving in my life? Because you cannot have the results of the kingdom of God in your life if you will not take up your cross and follow him, because that is the way of power. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6.14, But may I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul said, I'm not glorying or boasting in myself. He's saying, I'm boasting in the cross. He said, because when I took up my cross to follow Jesus, I found the power to be with him. The cross connects you to Jesus. The final and third idea that is shared in the scripture that, that illustrates this idea that you can't keep sowing to your flesh and expect the results of the kingdom of God is this principle that Paul t- talks about in Galatians that the Bible says if you sow to the flesh, you will from the flesh reap corruption. Now remember the parable of the sower. Whatever you sow, that's what's going to come up. You can't put beans in the ground and then get mad when tomatoes don't come up. That's just how it works. It's, it's a natural law. So uh, this sowing and reaping thing works in this fashion. If you sow to the flesh, you what? From the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you from the Spirit reap life everlasting. And Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions or by his precepts being set aside. He inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. For whatever a man sows, that and that only is what he will reap. For he who sows to his own flesh, his lower nature, sensuality, will from the flesh reap decay and ruin and destruction. But he who sows to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in their life, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so there's that simple principle that's laid out. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh comes trouble. And if you do so, you're going to have minimal results in your life. Even though you might be praying and asking God to bless and to help you. Why every time I pray am I not getting results? Because you keep sowing mentally, emotionally, and investing your time in the pursuits of the flesh. Disregarding the convictions of God instead of sowing to your relationship in the Lord. And letting Him help you. And letting Him empower you. And letting Him raise you up. Another scripture says that brings this up is in Romans 8 and 5. And I love this. This is simple. It just I share it only because it just says it better than I could say it. Paul writes in Romans 8 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now if you're sitting there wondering, well, what does it mean to serve the flesh? What does it mean to sow to the flesh? There's the answer. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Holy Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. There's that thing again, it, it cannot. If you constantly have in your mind the things of the world, that same mind will not connect with the Word of God. You cannot pursue the things of God if 
you constantly focus on the things of the world because there's a conflict that's going to paralyze you. And Lord, let me go on and continue to read. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, neither indeed can. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8.8. 8. Cannot. It is not possible. So again, Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you won't be with me. You could be with church. You can have the biggest Bible in your family. You can run around and quote Bible verses. You can do all that stuff. But if in your heart and in your mind you're really not loving and serving the Lord and your mind is constantly on your own selfish interests or the things of the world or whatever, then as a, as a result, you're not going to be able to connect with Him. You're not going to be able to serve or to follow Him or please Him. And then he goes on. In Galatians, Paul writes, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you are not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want. That phrase is a phrase that explains that because we live in kingdoms that are in conflict, a paralysis will take place in your life if you consistently try to keep your alliances and your affection between two different worlds. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men are in constant conflict, and the battleground for those conflicts are your soul. That's where the battleground is, not out there, but in here. And so remember Jesus said, the kingdom of God cannot exist in second place. The kingdom of God has got to be in first place. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to the king. So if Jesus is king of your life, then the kingdom of God will be manifest in your life and those blessings will be there. But Jesus the philosopher, there's no kingdom around him. Good luck, Jesus. There's no kingdom around good luck, Jesus. Jesus, the social worker, no kingdom around. Jesus, the Lord, who is king, there's a kingdom. Righteousness, peace and joy, deliverance, healing, all of those things. Now, let me put some of this in just in closing, in practical uh, uh, explanation for you. Because these are some radical statements that Jesus made to Paul. They're radical. And they have to be radical because if there really are kingdoms in conflict, and God does not radically take the sword of truth and lay out the distinction between the two, then he is leaving us open to deception. So, listen. Um, if you try to live in both kingdoms, you will live in constant conflict. And this is why some Christians are in constant turmoil and conflict, because they haven't decided who to love and put first in their life. So let's say... You love God, you love the Lord, you put Him first in your life. And like Jesus said, if you're not willing to hate mother, father, wife, by comparison to your love for the Lord. So does that mean that I can't have recreation? Does that mean that I can't have other loves and interests? Like I said when I got up here, there's a lot of things besides the Lord that I love in this life. Love, food, recreation, certain things that I'm, I really dig them, you know, and the fact is, is they have a place in my life, but I'm always monitoring to see where my treasure, who's really Lord of my life, where are my treasures at? So let me say to you that working 
Some people love their workaholics. They love work. Um, eating, no comment, but eating. Recreation, hobbies, things you're into, whatever, anything from video games, TV watching, movies, uh, sailing, I don't know, whatever thing you, that is your recreation, vacations. And rest, sleep, resting. These are all things that you should be enjoying as a Christian, as a child of the King. You should be enjoying these things in your life because you don't serve them. If you serve them, then they're going to take you away from the Lord and they're going to be your master and you're going to be in conflict with God and so you'll have them and that's it. But if you really want the Lord and you want His blessing in your life, these things you can participate in but you can't serve them. In, and in Jesus' own words, you have to hate them by comparison to your love for God. In other words, I can do this. I can be involved with you. I can be involved with these things. I can have these things as long as they don't interfere with my love for the Lord and His love for me. The minute the Lord starts tugging on me, like the little story I shared about Kathy and I, was it wrong? Was it wrong for Kathy and to want to have that unity, want to have us together? No, obviously not. But it also wasn't wrong for me to make that separation, say, I'm sorry if this is what it's got to be. If it's got to be the end of us, then so be it. It's the end of us. I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's how it went. But you know, putting Him first, the Lord will bring back into your life the things that He wants you to have. And they'll be blessed. They'll be blessed. So according to Jesus' parable of the sower, you are good soil. You are good ground. If you've heard the Word of God and you've received it as God's Word in your life, and you could bring forth 30, 60, 100-fold produce and be fruitful in your life. But you can't continue to live in two worlds. You can't sow to the flesh. So you and I have got to be effective in this world. We can't, just cat, uh, we can't just check out. We've got to participate in this world, and we all know that. But we have to understand that if we're going to be where He is, because the Lord's in this world. He's moving. He's touching people. If you're going to be with Him, you have to take up your cross, which means you may not be able to do what everybody else does. You've got to let Jesus be Lord of those decisions. And I'll share this with you in closing. Robert Browning, great poet from the 19th century, had a saying that my wife and I like to <clears throat> share with one another on a regular basis. Who keeps one end in view makes all things serve. Who keeps one end in view makes all things serve. That is the basic principle of the kingdom of God, is that you cannot have your vision divided. You really do have to set your affection and love on the Lord. Let everything else take second place. And that's why Christians are always laying on the altar the things that are going on in their life. That if you are in conflict, bring it to the Lord. Put it on the altar and be honest. And let Him say to you, let Him correct you, let Him share with you what His will is for your life. You may find yourself having to lay some things aside. You may find yourself having to lay some things on the altar and walk away. It's up to the Lord. If you really love Him and trust Him and you know that He loves you and cares for you, you've got to commit it to Him and know that the Lord, if He wants this in my life, He'll bring it back to me.
the way that he wants it in my life. And if not, God's got something better for me. Otherwise, we can't call Jesus Lord if he really isn't Lord of our life. Close your Bible and stand with me. We're going to pray together before we dismiss.